Welcome to Reimagining Soviet Georgia. I'm Sopo. A few days ago, there was an incident, an international, I would call it scandal, around academic freedom. DCU, which is a top university in Ireland, has a module in geopolitical conflicts. Ukrainian and Georgian embassies wrote a letter to the university and copied the Ministry uh, of Foreign Affairs saying how, and I quote, this was brainwashing and Russian propaganda. Despite the fact that the creator of the module has given over 13 hours to the Georgians to speak about their position while giving only one hour to a Russian scholar. But this was still too much for the Georgians and the Ukrainians, the embassies that is. Um, the Ministry of, of Higher Education and a member of parliament, you know, strongly condemned such interventions, especially by a foreign power. This level of intervention is unprecedented and really is quite shocking for many in Ireland and many academics around the world. Though it's not quite shocking for us in Georgia because this is what happens almost all the time. We don't know what this balance is for those that oppose any different worldview around Soviet Union and often they conflated with Russia as well. The creator of the module at DCU wrote a, a letter back, a, a blog post, I think, on civil.ge, where he says, this is quite concerning that the Georgian embassy doesn't know the difference between their enemies and their friends. And that really speaks to what is the balance, right? If 13 hours to the Georgian position and one hour to a Russian scholar is too biased, apparently for the Russian side, if that means that that's Russian propaganda and brainwashing, would they prefer it if it's 100% only one side? Or if it's say one side because there are multiple sides? And so it's, con it's confusing for outsiders mostly, what does it mean to have a balanced perspective on things? Even if it's not balanced perspective, have a perspective that's not just one version of events. In this hostile environment, that's now taken on a transnational character in Ireland, which was mostly confined within post-communist uh, countries. Georgia has been very, very unwelcoming to say the least, but really straight hostile. And to better get a grasp on the local situation, now we will hear from Becca Natsulishvili, who will give us a rundown on his experiences teaching and being a member of parliament, what it's like to discuss even the word social, not even socialism, but social, and even the smallest social policies are met with heavy resistance and labeled communist. This is what the question of balance keeps coming back to. If social policies like minimum wage is considered communist, if 13 hours of one side and one hour of Russian scholar is considered Russian propaganda, if these, for us, people who at least are trying to critically assess things, if these things absurd seem absurd to us, why is it so normal? We have to ask these questions. Why is it so normalized to see any words any side, even the smallest perspective, such a threat. What has happened in the past 30 years to make it 
so volatile and hostile for anyone dissenting, right? The word, I don't like to use the word dissent, but it's becoming that way when you have almost a whole space that's dedicated to one perspective. So how did this history that was created that these Soviet Union dissenters supposedly who wanted freedom of speech, freedom of thought, have now created such an hospitable environment for anyone who challenges them. And so reimagining Soviet Georgia tries to create a space in this hostile environment for other thoughts, even thoughts that we don't agree with. Personally, I may not agree with them, but we should be it should be given a space that you know doesn't have right now. So I would like to um, introduce Becca's interview, who will give us great examples that you can really see what it's like to live in Georgia, to live in a post-communist space, and to try to do anything here. Thank you so much, Becca, for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Um, My pleasure. I have, to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I was a member of parliament and uh, before I was a member of uh, city council uh, but I studied in Germany and after um, the graduation I came back to Georgia uh, and started to job at the university uh, and uh, uh, after uh, I am still in academia uh, in three different universities. I established a master's program about labor relation and uh, industrial relation in Georgia and uh, it is still running in three universities. It's um, state university, it's Georgian American University, Caucasus University, but I have the experience to teach in another different university. So. This is my experience. Okay. In short. Um, so tell us about your experiences teaching in Georgia. Uh, I teach um, uh, introduction in political economy and I teach political sociology. Before I taught uh, um, theories of international relation uh, and uh, to the same time I was in the different uh, research projects. One of them was uh, social capital uh, in Georgia and so the role of social capital for the development of uh, Georgian villages. Um, and uh, maybe the case uh, would be more interesting uh, for as the audience because uh, it was quite um, uh, exemplaric uh, situation uh, what took place uh, for example in one university um, where I was uh, where, where I taught um, uh, it was uh, 10 years ago um, we finished uh, with our group uh, for example this um, uh, research about social capital <laughs> and I tried to present the results of the uh, result of um, um, uh, this uh, research to my students and I asked uh, to the department for political science to uh, give uh, to provide us with a room where, where I could uh, present my uh, results of this research. And uh, they asked that what kind of research it was, and I answered that it's about social capital. And <laughs> the head of department told me that no, no, no way social capital and socialism. First, social capital has nothing to do with the socialism. It's a different issue. <laughs> and uh, second, even if it would be about socialism, and uh, it is uh, obvious that uh, in Georgian universities there is no free space for free thinking and teaching because because it is something uh, something like you know uh, the um, universities and academia till today uh, understand socialism as a something like you know something 
very um, different and uh, like it is a disease. Um, and the people which thinks uh, in this uh, in the in socialist categories or teach socialists as such, uh, it, it, they they see them as a um, like you know um, exotic something exotic uh, and uh, it was also the, it was the case for example uh, I taught uh, pol introduction in political science with one book. Uh, um, the, the, the Haywood, the author of Haywood, it is an introduction in political science, and uh, in, in this book, Haywood is in each introductory book about social and political science, is one small uh, uh, part about Marx and about Gramsci. <laughs> and it was very interesting that the head of the university, the rector of the university, somehow discovered this case. <laughs> and she came to me and asked me that I have to change this book. And uh, um, it's, it's crazy. It not, the, not because of uh, that uh, the, the Marx was uh, in this book and uh, it was um, uh, very controversial to uh, the rect for the rector of the university. But most interesting is that she came to me and asked me to write some new introduction book in three months <laughs> because this book was not convenient for her and for the university generally because of Marx. So the problem is that um, the especially in social science, uh, social science is taught in Georgia in half way because if you exclude Marx from social science. It means that the uh, students get knowledge in the halfway because the half of social science, at least half, when not, um, um, for example, two-thirds or something like that, at least the half is Marx and Marx ideas. This is a problem. That's why if somebody thinks that uh, in Georgia they teach in Georgia social science, and they exclude from the program Marx. It means that they t teach nothing. Um, yes, uh, the, there are a lot of experiences in this case. For example, one experience is also with the different universities, because when I started to work on this master's program about labor relation, um, uh, stop. The, the requirement from uh, European Union uh, was that um, it was not the requirement, but it was something like advice uh, to uh, run uh, this program in three different universities to have the joint um, uh, joint um, uh, degree uh, and. Um, I asked the university in which I taught some years ago and when they realized that it was about labor relation and when they realized that it has something to do with the empowerment of labor uh, they were against because they uh, so the answer was the same. So this is a uh, we have to, we want we won't have in our university something uh, which has something to do with the left ideology and with the socialism and with Soviet Union because the socialism the Soviet Union for um, uh, Georgian even for academia I'm not talking about average. I don't know, guys. Even for academia, it's the same. Like you know, because um, uh, it is not uh, that the people try to get more knowledge in this, but it was the propaganda which started 30 years ago after the collapse of Soviet Union. But the propaganda was quite strong uh, because in this propaganda was not were not involved uh, just politicians, right wing politicians, but in this propaganda were involved uh, NGOs, 
um, universities, public institutions, government, political parties, media, all the organization which had more impact about uh, opinion making in the society. So, and this is a result what we have in Georgia at the moment. Um, I would like to then ask, what do you think, you know, as being both uh, someone who teaches and also a politician, do you think there is a link between this sort of, you can say, censorship or dismissal or a certain kind of understanding of the Soviet Union that is dominant today, that that hinders a lot of social programs that you work on, like labor issues, pension reforms, do you think there's a connection between um, not uh, between sort of reimagining Soviet Union, the, this need for it, and also for a more coherent left or social politics to take place in Georgia? Reimagination, uh, how you mentioned uh, just now uh, of Soviet Union, it would be helpful, of course it would be helpful for uh, the the development of leftist ideas, leftist uh, organizations and so on, because um, uh, people would start to look uh, on Soviet Union more critically, because uh, at the moment we don't have any space where the Soviet, where we can look at Soviet Union in a critical way. Uh, the, the, the different organizations we deal with Soviet Union and with, which deal with the study of Soviet Union, it is not a critical view. It is not a reflexive view. It is just, uh, it is just um, you know, um, leverage somehow to eradicate uh, from the memories of the people uh, the um, uh, positive, uh, uh, p- positive issues and positive policies what the Soviet Union had, you know, uh, th- this is a. It is not a science. It is like the propaganda. Like once uh, at the university was uh, this guy. Oh, how, how is the name? Which is the architecture of um, architecture of um, these neoliberal reforms in Eastern Europe. Balcerovich, which is quite famous guy, especially in East Europe, and uh, it was some event when Balcerovich presented their views and uh, their reflections about the, um, about economic uh, the reforms in Eastern Europe, in Georgia, and so on. Because uh, for some time he was also um, uh, he was also advisor of Georgian government. And I was only one uh, attendant uh, at the meeting where uh, where uh, approached Balcerovich critically, like you know, because what Balcerovich was talking on the meeting, it has it had nothing to do with the science because it, is, it was poor propaganda of neoliberalism, like you know, to comparison between uh, you know. Uh, the Belarus and the comparison with I don't know some countries where the for example the the figures of the Belarus are much better as of the of these countries but because Lukashenko governs the Belarus not in the way like they would like it life in Belarus uh, uh, would be uh, worse than in this country where some you know neoliberals this NGO democratic guy is governing. And um, I, I approached him with the figures that because life expectancy is higher in Belarus, uh, for example, and so on and so on. Uh, um, but, but uh, you know, uh, all professors which attended also this meeting, nobody approached Balcerovich uh, critically. Nobody, nobody. And uh, when I uh, stood up and uh, approached Balcerovich, Everybody were somehow because I, I, I heard before my um, question, 
And before my remark, I heard a lot of remarks from different professors who uh, were uh, also were participating in this meeting. How Balcerowicz was great and what kind of work he done for Eastern Europe and so on and so on. And one of them stood up and uh, ran to him to get the sign of the book of Balcerowicz. It was amazing. Like Balcerowicz was a, I don't know, um, holy uh, guy of this re religion of neoliberalism, something like that. And um, uh, when, but most interesting was when the meeting was finished and when we uh, went out of the room, half of the professors came to me and asked me, good question, it was amazing and so on. Because, you know, how can I, uh, how can I explain it? This is a mainstream. To be the neoliberal is a mainstream. Half of the professors, not the half, but the most of the professors at this university are old people, not old people, but elder than me. And they are 60s, 70s and so on. They got their knowledge at uh, Georgian universities. And they got the knowledge in time of Soviet Union, this academic knowledge with which they teach at the moment to the, uh, their students. But, but, well, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, this kind of thinking was not, um, uh, was not uh, the mainstream uh, or was not useful anymore. And they thought, like the politicians thought, that if they choose the uh, most radical alternative of Soviet Union, uh, like our politicians thought to this time, like at the university also, if they would choose most radical alternative of Marxist or of socialist economy, then they would do the right thing for the students, for the country, and so on and so on. And this is a big mistake. Um, question. So, what is the connection, what you keep saying, the most radical from Soviet Union? Can you explain what that means? What does it mean to be completely the opposite of Soviet Union? And how does that uh, cohere in neoliberalism? What does that mean? Like, how is neoliberal? Do you think neoliberalism is a response to the Soviet Union? We have to we have to see this in the historical context. The collapse of Soviet Union, the, uh, the this uh, plan uh, of Washington Consensus, which was uh, originally wrote for Latin America, but uh, after the collapse of Soviet Union, it could be also uh, useful. Uh, maybe they thought that it could be also useful maybe for uh, the new Soviet countries uh, there is also the doubt they thought that it would be useful or it would intention like to um, uh, uh, to uh, push the Eastern European countries um, uh, to Washington consensus policies this is a uh, you know is it it was a choice it was a, uh, the, some critical reflection how they had to deal with Eastern European countries as they just choose Washington Consensus because the tools of Washington Consensus were already there. Is the case or the, it was the intention, like, you know, to approach uh, Eastern European countries with the Washington Consensus because, because of course, it was um, for the West, uh, it, it gave West a big advantage just to deal with uh, Eastern European countries. So uh, this is this is it. So, uh, when we see this in the context, in the context, of neoliberalism, uh, neoliberalism is uh, they, they, they not the, like coherent ideology. No? We uh, call neoliberalism different things. We can't. Uh, it, it is no the clear definition of neoliberalism. But for example, if we take it. Washington Consensus as a as a um, expression, practical expression of neoliberalism, it took place in Georgia in more radical ways than it was written in, uh, the, the, for example, the um, uh, books of uh, IMF and the World Bank. You know, this is. Um, 
But uh, the question is, was that uh, only one solution to this time, or was that intention which was uh, implemented in Georgia intentionally from different uh, uh, international organizations? So, can you give me exactly like details of what you are saying as far as social and economic policies? that is antithetical to Soviet Union policies? In each policy, uh, beginning with the social policy, uh, and uh, uh, if we uh, continue with, uh, I don't know, economic policy, we see that it is uh, the opposite uh, direction, of course, what the Soviet Union uh, took. Uh, it doesn't mean that when I criticize, for example, neoliberalism, it does not mean that I like it, everything in Soviet Union, despite the system was more better organized uh, than any other systems generally. But, but of course, I'm, I, 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 I'm talking about uh, economic and social issues, especially now. But. Uh, if we take neoliberalism, this is total opposite of it, uh, with the beginning of total privatization in Georgia, one, with a uh, tax system, uh, the second, uh, and uh, the, uh, when I uh, mentioned that uh, Georgia is exceptional in this case, that we um, adapted uh, uh, neoliberalism in more radical way. For example, we are only one country in the world which has in the constitution legislation which does not allow parliament or the government to increase the taxes or to introduce um, progressive taxation without to call the referendum. And uh, in this uh, right uh, wing uh, in political environment, media environment, and so on, and this is right wing propaganda and uh, right wing populism, because it is also the populism when you um, when you uh, uh, explain, try to explain and convince the people that the low tax taxes are even even useful for the guys. Uh, which get, for example, I don't know, um, uh, so social assistance, you know? And uh, the case also about um, the National Bank, which is uh, oriented on uh, with um, uh, inflation, for example, that uh, we have this uh, targeted inflation, which the country, such country like Georgia, which is developing country, uh, which is an uh, import-dependent country, will never keep. And there are, there are a lot of policies. I'm not talking about social policy which need really the money because the, generally our social policy in Georgia is uh, not the social policy which is uh, oriented on the development of human capital, development of the people, but this social policy is just like to kick the people alive, just alive, physically. This is our social policy. So one of the things that are, we also have um, talked to someone who teaches Soviet history here, and one of the things that they said that contributed to a lot of Western donors being the mainstay of Soviet research uh, about Soviet history and memory uh, was because the salaries of professors were so low, especially in the 90s and uh, early 2000s, and I would say now as well, and you can talk about the salaries of professors as well, that, had, that opened them up to needing to get a financial, additional financial, um, you know, additional salary. So a lot of them were either taking part in NGOs or establishing their NGOs and getting grants and surviving that way. So it seems like there's a connection between lower, you know, low progressive taxation to very low social safety net and jobs to then being more open to, to foreign influence. Uh, not only how they finance, but what they finance contently, it is more interesting. 
but uh, I don't think that it is a post-Soviet phenomena or it uh, this uh, this trend uh, only is taking place in Georgia. It was also in the Western countries after the uh, after the end of the. Um, the Second World War. For example, I was uh, I saw the figures that some I don't know uh, some organization made the survey uh, at least uh, each five years or each ten years, and the uh, question was um, that uh, they was asking the opinion of the people. We which country was the um, winner of uh, the Second World War. And till 70s, till 70s, um, most of the people's answer was that it was the Soviet Union. But the question was uh, the um, victory, uh, in the victory of, uh, in the defeat of fascism and in the victory of allies. And uh, till 70s, Everywhere uh, that they, most of the people answer that it was the Soviet Union. After seventies, you see the different trend. Then the people starting to talk about U.S., <laughs> Britain, even France, and so on and so on. It, it was depending uh, in which country the survey was uh, conducted, and it is visible. It it is not uh, only the um, Georgian or so post-Soviet trend. It uh, it was uh, of part. It is a part of coherent policy. Of course, till nineties, uh, Western uh, uh, the organization and this new liberal organization uh, had no space, for example, for Georgia to have such open propaganda to finance somebody which will uh, which uh, defame uh, the Soviet Union in such way like uh, the, the, they are doing it. Today, but but um, uh, in the uh, in uh, the West Europe and in different countries in Italy, uh, for example, because Italy has such something like this touch to uh, communism and good relation with Soviet Union after the uh, end of Second World War, and in the Greece and uh, in southern southern uh, Europe. I'm not talking about Spain because uh, there was a, uh, another dictatura, um, uh, Franco's dictatura or Franco's authoritarian regime. Uh, it doesn't mean how we, at the moment, uh, will call him. And uh, then, uh, when the job was done in uh, Western Europe, okay, now was the space opening uh, post-Soviet countries and this anti-Soviet propaganda started here. So I have to mention again the Soviet Union. We don't need uh, that somebody will glorify the Soviet Union. Just we need the truth, at least in the academies, about Soviet Union. Because the Soviet Union uh, to um, uh, defame Soviet Union become the leverage to introduce the neoliberals and to justify neoliberals like it was in Western Europe before, you know? This is the problem. Not the Soviet Union is a uh, case of uh, glorification, but, but it should not become the leverage to uh, glorify the neoliberals. This, this is my approach, this is my... How I see. Um, on that note, two more questions. One, you know, you spent you know four years in Parliament, and you were often um, called Trotsky and other names. Yeah. And what was the culture, the political culture around Soviet Union from you know members of Parliament? What did you feel, and what were some of maybe examples that you can tell us about? They perceive social politics in general of them constantly referring to. Again, uh, I try to I try to explain it with uh, some uh, examples. You know, um, the, it was labor inspection, the new law uh, about labor inspection. Uh, when I tried to push with uh, another different MPs, but but I was a radical, more radical in the sense. 
Uh, and uh, the, the second was that, for example, another issue about um, labor law, because to introduce, for example, uh, I don't know, uh, overtime pay without minimum wage, uh, it has no sense, because if you have no minimum wage, uh, the overtime pay would not work. It is uh, unmanageable and practically it does not work. And um, uh, uh, this was a this was a context, but um, uh, this was a context uh, in which, for example, somebody called me Trotskyist or whatever it is. Even this this, this is very interesting. Uh, but uh, more the radical liberals and uh, um, moderate liberals called me both sides called me the Trotskyist because for them there is no difference. You know, if you are I don't know, leftists, if you are socialists, um, their approach, despite they differ from each other in a quite uh, strong way, uh, that one is a poor neoliberal, for example, which would abolish any kind of uh, taxes in Georgia, and the second is more moderate, more statist, and so on and so on, but for any socialist ideas for them are Trotskyism or whatever it is. Generally, I'm not Trotskyist. I don't like Trotsky, but whatever it is. <laughs> Another context is uh, that, uh, for example, it started from the first um, uh, from the first session uh, when the uh, Parliament 2016 came uh, together. Uh, I made the statement that this government should. Um, uh, stop the policy Washington consensus because it should be over. This was my approach that we should not um, maintain this position of less bastion of neoliberalism because if we uh, look around, Georgia is an exceptional conception of neoliberalism. It is like, uh, you know, um, uh, in the uh, 70s was a Chile as an experiment. In Georgia also is something like experiment of the neoliberals today. today. And that's why my approach was that to rediscover and rethink general this Washington, Washington consensus approach. And it was also something like, you know, uh, unbelievable maybe for some MPs which could understand what is Washington consensus but most of them or the media I can remember thought that I was generally against Washington or US it was very nice and very uh, very comical uh, why this, this is also um, you know uh, this is also also the reaction and um, uh, this is also result uh, of it what we uh, already discussed uh, Washington consensus never the, the issue of Washington consensus and the policies of Washington consensus never have been discussed in Georgia and that's why nobody knows generally what is Washington consensus and if somebody is against Washington consensus it means that it's against any US citizen general and uh, it's also this, this is a reality in which we teach and in which we live so there was also an incident during uh, when we had no labor um, labor inspection law and and even weaker labor inspectorate. A young activist, student activist, had done an, an an action. I believe it was during the constitutional hearings. Yeah. I want to say, um, and I know the the speaker of uh, parliament. I think called them communists. I don't remember exactly what the terms was, but you made a statement and you defended students. Can you tell us about that incident? It was a, a hearing in one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest uh, auditorium in Georgia. It was the Philharmonia of Georgia. There was a hearing of constitutional amendments. It was not a hearing, but it was a 
public hearing of uh, constitutional amendments and um, uh, the young activists, left-wing activists, entered um, the auditorium and they had their own demands because before this hearing uh, some people died on workplaces and uh, uh, also uh, some figures became uh, uh, public uh, how many people are dying each year in Georgia. It was exactly the period. Um, and uh, uh, it was a natural uh, reaction of uh, young activists that uh, they were protesting, for example, the um, constitutional public hearings uh, because uh, there was uh, the amendments which, for example, uh, left organization and me and some different organizations were requiring from constitutional amendments, nothing had been done, and uh, also uh, some figures became uh, uh, public, uh, how many people are dying each year in Georgia, it was exactly the period, um, and uh, uh, it was a natural uh, reaction of uh, young activists that uh, they were protesting, for example, the um, constitutional public hearings uh, because uh, there was uh, the amendments which, for example, uh, left organization and me and some different organizations were requiring from constitutional amendments, nothing had been done and uh, legally constitution uh, became maybe better but uh, socially for example because we have the uh, part in constitution where uh, general rights are also uh, uh, written of people uh, general rights of people uh, are also written uh, uh, for, for example uh, the, the social part of it uh, has been improved uh, in the teeny way. So, uh, and um, uh, the young activists find found the uh, right time to approach the politicians because a lot of politicians, a lot of members of parliament were attending this public hearing uh, in Philharmonia and uh, <laughs> it was amazing how uh, the, the, the most amazing was the reaction of um, uh, the head of parliament, of the chairman of parliament, uh, speaker of parliament, it was Irakli Kobahidze, how uh, the, that uh, he was uh, crying to young people uh, and calling uh, them that they are communists and communists will never come again to Georgia and they, that they have to choose another way, they have to choose the way of Ilya Chavchawadze and so on. But uh, somehow I, uh, um, with the time I understand that uh, uh, people have no, even no understanding of Ilya Chavchawadze, I'm not talking about communism. Uh, for example, people which use uh, or operate with the different authors and different public figures in Georgia, they have less understanding of their ideas. But but let's uh, it aside. Uh, the, 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 you know, the first word which use to the people to young people, which uh, is a different way maybe, but. We uh, demonstrated for uh, just uh, the ideas for social justice, for not not generally social justice, but even for uh, normal labor law uh, and uh, um, labor inspection and so on. Immediately, they have been called uh, communists. Last question. Uh, often the opposition has deployed uh, anti-Soviet, which also seems to be anti-Russian, similar continuation in, in a lot of people's minds. 
to further their political agenda. Yeah. They have used it. So the memory of the Soviet Union and this like fear of Soviet Union, this fear of Soviet Union has been used by political forces, politicians, especially opposition, to further their politics. Can you tell us what do you think about that? One month ago, in February, um, it was the anniversary of Sovietization of Georgia. Uh, 1921, If we, t- t- uh, if we talk about occupation, Russia occupied uh, Georgia uh, uh, 100 uh, or even 150 years before this event took place. Uh, because rather Georgia was a part of Russian Empire, which Georgia was occupied. But this 100-year anniversary was used in the media from different politicians that It was the occupation of, from Russia and not from the Soviet Union. This is a, also the biggest problem that Soviet Union, if we, if we separate, for example, there is no separation uh, between Russia and Soviet Union. Because it is also amazing, Soviet Union was created mostly about uh, the uh, leading uh, politicians were Georgians. In Soviet Union, if we uh, consider, and uh, even in this case, if we, uh, you know, if the leading politicians were only Russians, okay, I, I would understand the Soviet Union is a continuation of Russian Empire, but Soviet Union was real international project, and if we consider the, the most influential persons were Georgian. We could not talk about the Russian uh, uh, Russian uh, uh, occupation. occupation. It, it was the Soviet occupation. But because of the war of Russia, because our uh, really uh, hostile relations with Russia, which has their reason, of course, to use the Soviet Union and to Um, not to make the separation between Soviet Union and Russia, uh, it is uh, it is uh, damageable generally for real understanding of politics, not only today but for the future with, with Russia, which has their reason, of course, to use the Soviet Union and to. Um, not to make the separation between Soviet Union and Russia, uh, it is uh, it is uh, damageable generally for real understanding of politics, not only today but for the future. Because it is uh, uh, the people, uh, but it is the instrument of the right wing forces, you know, because that uh, the Russia is. Uh, discredited and to link everything in Russia uh, would, be, would be discredited automatically and because the Soviet Union is discredited to link something with the Soviet Union will discredit these things on this notion automatically and it is very useful tool in their hands but uh, one example also when the, uh, this guy for example Gavrilo Uh, came to Georgia. This, everybody was talking about not about Russian politician, but was talking about Russian communist politician. Communists. They are not communists in the sense real communists. But but because he was because they had the opportunity some, some, uh, somehow to touch and to find the link. And uh, um, to link Russia with the communists and Russia with Soviet Union, they used it. And 
this is a problem you know to rethink generally the, our uh, communist uh, um, our Soviet past the Russia is also one of the biggest obstacle at the moment in this way because if you try to rethink in the healthy way the uh, communists everybody can discredit you as a pro-Russian guy you know this is also uh, some uh, some obstacle in the way so uh, we will end there do you have any final comments about um, maybe what has happened and, and where do we go from here or do you think since there was an, another incident of a journalist being thrown out by activists a Russian journalist this seems like it's a continue, continuous process of anti-Russian, anti-Soviet, and then also using nationalist like Abkhazia yeah, occupation. But uh, if we if we consider this last case, which took place three days ago, uh, they know that he this guy is a liberal. You know, they could not reject it. This guy is a liberal, and. Uh, the, even if we continue this discussion, who is this guy? This is a Russian. This is okay. Um, propaganda of Kremlin, for Kremlin propaganda. But he's a liberal. Everybody knows, and nobody can reject it. They're liberal. Then, if we uh, go more deeper in this discussion, then will everybody will understand the Putin's government is a neoliberal government. It is not the government which has something to do with the Soviet Union or which even could restore or won't restore Soviet Union, you know?